by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, so Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Say edify. Y'all remember that word from last week? Edify means to instruct and improve, to uplift, enlighten, inform, to build up. When, you ed- when somebody's edified, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. To be edified is, is really what God is after for us come here tonight and be edified and for uh, us to follow after things which make for peace and thereby we may edify one another. Um, Last week we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you remember? And the question was, when we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and and the things in the church, if you want to know are you acting more like the Corinthian church or like a church that has, does things decently in order? Ask yourself the one qualifying question we found was, does it edify? Does it build up the church or is it just something for you? You know, that was the question that we asked. And so we started this series last week called, Does It Edify? And I thought to myself, wow, that is a question that you could ask about every situation in your life. I mean, that's... That's like as big as what would Jesus do question when it come out. We need to get bracelets that says, does it edify? Because that's the question you ask yourself before you do it, hopefully. Whatever you're going to do, does it edify somebody else? Does it build up the body of Christ and do good things? Now, I want to sincerely apologize. Last week, I made some comments about our church, you know, in the, in the old days or whatever, and I made it sound like that we were off base in, in our understanding of spiritual gifts. I didn't mean to make it sound like that. I'll be honest with you. Our church has always had a heart after God. As long as I've been here, we have always wanted to serve God. We've always wanted to walk in the things of the Spirit. Now, did we do it always right? We No, and we still probably don't. But we did back then the best we knew, and we're still doing the best we know now. So I didn't mean to make it sound like... Uh, that we got it all together now because we don't. We're still, and I know for a fact that I'm standing on the shoulders of some great men of God that came before me that laid the foundation of this church. And so I've always believed in this church. So I didn't want to make it, leave it out there and make it sound like that. We didn't have it together back then, okay? So we we were always doing the best that we knew how. Uh, So this new series is Does It Edify? Tonight's message is part two, Speak Life. Titles speak life. And we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 29. I'm going to read it out of the King James. So I did this to myself. I could have just titled the series, Does It Strengthen? Because 
edify and strengthen kind of mean the same thing. That's what it says in the New Living Translation. That's the way it, but now I got to read everything out of the King James because I had to use the word edify. I don't know. Because <clears throat> the King James is who uses the edify word. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So whatever comes out of your mouth, don't let it be a bunch of junk that brings people down. Let it minister good things to people. Grace. Do your words that you speak typically, are they building someone up? Do you watch your words and careful what you say around folks? Or are you one of those who just let her fly, whether it beats people down or runs over them or whatever? That's what we're talking about tonight, making sure our words are edifying. Does it edify? Before you speak, does it edify? Uh, there's a fable that says, once upon a time, a donkey found a lion's skin, and he threw it on his back, and he walked around and it scared a lot of the other animals. They thought it was a lion. Well, he went to scare the fox, and the fox didn't scare. And the fox says, you need to change more in your skin. You need to change that bray of yours. And the uh, moral to that story was clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. Your, your tongue is a fire. Turn to James chapter 3 and we'll find out. James has a lot to say about the tongue and it ain't none of it good. He says it's a fire. James 3 verse 2 says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. That almost makes it sound like that the tongue is the root of all evil, not the love of money. Because it says if you could control your tongue, you could control everything else. You wouldn't have the problems we have if we could control our tongue. Verse 3 says we can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth. And a little bitty old small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even when the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, amen? And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. I don't know about you, it makes me want to go get a knife and cut that sucker out. But there's somebody that wants you to hold on to it. It's called, he's called the devil. He's like, whoa, wait a minute now, you need that. I need you to help me spew out all this darkness. I need you to help me demonize other people, divide, sow discord. Accuse falsely, backbite, gossip. I need somebody out there helping me bring the people down. Criticize them, complain about them, flatter them, tell lies, whine, and pretty much make life all unbearable for everyone you run into. 
That's what the devil is trying to set that tongue on fire. That's what your flesh will, will do if you just let it have control of the tongue. Who is controlling your tongue? I think it, what it boils down to. Because God wants us to use our speech for a whole different purpose. He wants to edify others. He wants our, our words to build up people and not tear down. Now, I'm going to be honest. You know, if you keep on reading in James, it says, who can tame the tongue? And I'm going to be the first to say, I ain't done it yet. I mean, I struggle in this area. You, I, I know you probably do too. If, how many don't struggle in this area? We all struggle in watching what we say. We need to watch what we say at home. If you're married, are the words that you say to your spouse, are they bringing you closer together? Or is it just, all the time? Are you adding to the love bank of your marriage? Or are you just making withdrawals all the time? By the words of your mouth. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. You'll know how to answer, folks. What about at our jobs? Now, I, I told off on myself pretty good Sunday, didn't I? As a Christian, y'all heard about the way I acted, right? But we're getting paid to advance our company. Nobody hired you <laughs> to work against them, to use your mouth to, to spread slander and lies about your company, and they got enough people doing that. Are your words an asset or a liability to the people who are paying your salary? Because if, if you're a, a liability to your company, you're probably stealing their money because they wouldn't pay you if they knew that. If your boss heard your words at the water cooler and you didn't know it, you were just talking to your buddies, would he want to promote you or would he want to fire you? How are we doing with our mouth as Christians, as representatives of Jesus? That's what Christian means, little Christ, you know. When people hear you talk, do they say, she's a Christian? Or he's a Christian? Or do they hear you talk and say, she's a Christian. He's a Christian. Can they tell? <laughs> Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Do you build up, medify the kingdom, or do you complain and sound like all these unbelievers and all the spin that they have about the church? See, that's what I thought I'd throw that in. That's one of my pet peeves when I get on social media and stuff. And I know people don't, it's just easy to go along. And I know, there, I know that there's some churches out there that aren't doing things right. And, and there's some people out there that don't know how to love folks. And there's some false church stuff going on. And probably those ain't real Christians anyway. But, but there's a lot of good that Christians do in society. You, you wait till after the rapture and see what happens. I mean, where are all, who's going to run all the hospitals? Who's going to run all the disaster relief and all the food banks and all the lives being changed at, at Jesus' 
filled churches all around the world. The light, where's it going to go? And, you know, unbelievers, they'll pick, they just looking for an excuse. Well, churches, you know, they don't really care about you. They just care about your money. And this, this guy's got this $19 million mansion over here. And they pick out some examples and, and try to bring the whole church down. And then I see Christians, yeah, I believe that too. And, and we just get right in there with them. Well, it would, I think it would be better to me is if we didn't badmouth our own organization, our own church, our own life, our body. If we would try to take up for Jesus' church instead of get in there with them. I know you're upset about some of the things that go on in the church, and I am too. But to, to give, join in with the unbelievers, I don't think that pleases Jesus. He gave his life for this church, and he's doing everything he can to, you know, to help people come to it. And so we need to build up the body of Christ. We need to edify the church. I'm not talking about just our local church. I'm just talking about the church in, as a whole. We need to edify the body of Christ. We need to make sure, because I've done it. And I thought to myself, after what was I thinking? You know, because I want to jump in there and agree, because they make some good points about this church does that or whatever. We, don't, we need to stop uh, doing that, I think. Here's a big one. How are our words affecting our children? You see, your words can literally shape a young person's destiny. If an adult had complimented me when I was growing up and and said, you know, I think you'd be a good ballerina. I'd probably be up here in a pink tutu preaching this message tonight. <laughs> I was so hungry for somebody to, to tell me something good about myself and point me in a direction, tell me which way I should go and see something of worth in me, and no adults would speak into my life. And I'm going to tell you, will we go down to the jailhouse? It's full of grown men that are down there wishing they had somebody would have spoken to their life when they were growing up. And somebody would have told them that, that they have what it takes to be a man, that this is, what, this, is, this is what God says about you, and gave them some encouragement and direction in their life. And we can speak that. It don't even have to be our children. They're like little sponges soaking up. Whatever is said about them. And they're in this time, especially the younger children, when they, even up in the high school age, they go to these schools and these kids, they have no filter on their mouth and they say whatever and mean and, and there's bullies and all that. And they got to endure all that harsh criticism from their peers. They need grown folks. They need at least some Christians at their church to pray over them, to see something godly in them, to compliment them. And to help them through this shark-infested waters that they're going through. Proverbs 15, 4 says, Gentle words are a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, and... And I'm going to say this. This is a scripture to fathers. Because most of them men down at the jail, 
You know, the men are not doing their role in America. That's what's wrong. That's what's happening to America where we've got a society where the women are raising most of the children. And I can, I can tell you I've, I do it all the time. How many of you guys in here didn't have a father in the house when you were growing up when I asked at the jail? And almost all of them raised their hand. And it has a big factor why most all of them are in there. I'm just telling you. Or, you know, they had one of these really harsh fathers this, that God is dealing with here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial and unreasonable and humiliating, or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. You can't just write one of them off because the other one's good at sports and this one's not or something, or he's, he's, his personality fits you better. You got to love all your children, and you got to pick your battles. You can't just be this ogre in a house that makes all the rules, and it's my house by God, and it's like my papa, hit the road. <laughs> you remember? You got to, just because they're little people, they have feelings. And they need to be treated with the same grace that you want to be treated with. Bring them up tenderly with love and kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You got to lead them to Jesus. That's the most important thing you can do because one day they'll be gone, they'll move out of your house. And they need Jesus to depend on. They need to have a personal relationship with him. And the best thing you can do, dads and moms, is reflect Jesus. The best thing you can do is really love Jesus yourself. Because if they see you pretending to love Jesus at church and going home, and it's no different than the world, they're going to think it's fake. You remember Jacob and Esau, the two brothers, how they fought. They were, they were, Esau was about to kill Jacob because Jacob stole his birthright, his blessing. He went, Jacob was a swindler and he went in there and swindled the firstborn's blessing. But think about that. That's two young men that were willing to kill each other just to have their father's blessing. And I think it's about the same way today. Little boys still are looking for their father's blessing. They need confirmation from the older men, especially from their dads. They need your blessing. They need to hear somebody speak a word of encouragement and not just, I mean, it's easy to, to parent from the negative end, reactionary, we'll just wait till he does something wrong and get on it. Look for reasons to speak encouragement when they do something right, you know. They do things right every now and then. But they were, these two were willing to, to kill each other over their father's blessing. And thank goodness we all got a dad in heaven. It just makes up for wherever we've missed it. 
makes up for whatever we don't have in our lives. Just the Father to the fatherless. So are your words edifying or deadifying? I just made that up. Because see, once your tongue speaks it out, it's out there. It's like a bullet. Once you pull that trigger, you can't get it back. Now, thankfully, a lot of times our children and others, maybe, they, they have short memories and they'll forget. But sometimes people don't forget. And so when you say hurtful things in marriages and stuff, you start using the D word and all these kind of things, you start threatening one another and saying things in the heat of the battle, those things aren't easily forgotten. You're putting holes in your boat. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you this, you must give account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Do you know somebody's writing down everything you say? The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So you're either speaking life or death. It's one or the other. You're saying something edifying or you're saying something that's not edifying. It's tearing down. And we'll give an account. So does that mean we only say nice, happy things to everybody? We, does that mean we're just, we can't address any wrongs or we just got to say sweet things because we're trying to edify? Is that what we mean? Let me go back to the definition. It says, to instruct and improve, uplift, enlighten, inform, and build up. So it's more than just building up. It's, it's, the, you know, it's tough love sometimes. Tough love builds up. So it's not just saying flowery words, so to speak, or else Jesus would have sinned when he talked to those Pharisees, right? But he didn't. He, told, he instructed them. He showed them what was wrong so that they could make changes. And in the long run, be built up. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and flattering words causes ruin. So don't just say, Oh, I'm going to leave out of here, and I'm going to go build everybody up. I'm just going to make stuff up as I go, you know. <laughs> oh, man, you, you know what? I think you'd do great to the rodeo, you know. You look like a bull rider. And I, you're just making stuff up, and you're going to lead somebody astray, you know. It, flattering words cause ruin. If you want to help build up a young man or a young woman or something or, or say something to your children, seek God about it. Pray about it. See, see gifts and talents and let the Holy Spirit lead you to say, flat, uh, not flattering, but uh, edifying words into their life. Just don't throw out something. Just say, I said something nice. Saying something nice and edifying may be two different things is what I'm saying. And sometimes the truth is the hardest thing to say. And sometimes the truth is the hardest thing to hear. But the truth will always set you free. So you got to have a way to say the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more like Christ who is the head of the body of the church. So there is a way the Holy Spirit will allow you to speak truth in love. That's something you have to learn as a pastor or you'll run everybody off. If you're going to be a pastor that tries to 
uphold the integrity of the office and of the church, and you have to address issues with people, and you have to confront them with the truth. If you want to take your job seriously as a minister, you certainly want to be able to do it in a way that's not going to run everybody off and make it sound like that you don't care about them. You have to address tough things, but you got to do it in a way that's loving and kind. And if I figure it out, I'll let y'all know. For something to be truly edifying, it must be truly true. Because if you're just telling them what they want to hear, it's not really edifying them. Do you uh, look to a pastor to tell you what you want to hear? If, if you're sincere about growing and in the things of God, you don't. You want a pastor that will be honest and, and tell you the truth. Because you know the truth is what sets you free. And you're just clowning around if you just trying to find people that say what you like to hear them say. So choose your words carefully. The devil's always trying to snare us by the words of our mouth. He's always trying to get an aha moment. Caught you. You know, that's what they're playing in politics these days. One side, aha, he said this. Oh, we got tapes of them doing this back 35 years ago, you know. He said this. They said that. That's, they did the same thing with Jesus, always trying to trap him. They threw the woman at his feet, you know, was caught in adultery. Oh, we got him now. He's going to have to stone her. We know he don't want to. We know he's one of those people that love everybody. But he's going to have to stone her because the law says. But Jesus said, let he without sin cast the first stone. And they said, well, we got to go. Right? Jesus, <laughs> man, he was something else. He was cooler than Clint Eastwood and... John Wayne all put together. They brought him a coin and says, should we give taxes to Caesar? He says, whose picture and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. He said, render unto Caesar's what's Caesar's. They said, oh, almost had him. One time they said, by what authority do you do these things? He said, I'll tell you by what authority. If you tell me the authority of John the Baptist, did it come from God or from man? They said, oh, he got us again. They didn't want to say. They knew if they said either way, they would get in trouble. King James says, after that, they durst not ask him any more questions. <laughs> I love that. He, they durst not. <laughs> and sometimes when you hadn't got nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. That may not be in the Bible, but that principle, I believe, is because when Jesus went before King Herod in one of those three mock trials that they gave him before they crucified him, Herod was this, from what I can gather, this goofball. You know, he, he shouldn't have been king. He didn't know what he was doing. Just, you know, you see him portrayed in all the movies as a goofball, and I believe he probably was. They said he wanted to see Jesus perform some miracles. He was, that's all he cared about, seeing Jesus. So when they sent Jesus to him, he was trying to get Jesus to perform miracles. Jesus wouldn't do anything. And in Luke 23, 9, it says he asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Why do you think that is? I don't think Jesus had time for that mess. 
I think he just looked and said, there ain't nothing I can say here. I know the scripture says that, that it was prophesied that he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a lamb before his shears is silent. He was and he was. So he was fulfilling prophecy, but I also think he just had nothing to say to that silliness. And so anything he would have said may have come out of the wrong spirit, and he just wouldn't say it. Many of us would do well to install a filter between our brain and our tongue and not just say whatever happens to come to us. Like last week, you know, I got up here rambling a little bit. Had to apologize for it this week. I'd rather just not have to say it, have said it, than have to apologize for it later. It's easier to live like that. Proverbs 17, 27 says, A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. I grabbed a hold of that one a long time ago. And some of you say, he talks a lot from the pulpit, but he don't talk a lot in you know, in person, that's because I'm thinking about this principle, man. I'll appear wise if I don't say anything. Proverbs 21, 23 says, watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut, and you'll stay out of trouble. Just, let's just get down to the bones of it. Will Durant says, talk is cheap because the supply always exceeds the demand. In other words, there's too much of it. He said, one of the lessons of history is that nothing is often a good thing to do and always a clever thing to say. James Russell Lowell says, Blessed are they who have nothing to say and who cannot be persuaded to say it. And Calvin Coolidge, one of our previous presidents, said, I have never been hurt by anything I didn't say. Now, that's not always the case. I can imagine there's times you should have said something and you didn't. But... For the most part, just conversational stuff, if there's, a, if there's a check in your spirit before you go to say, you know, I, oh, your hair looks so much better than it did before, you know, or something like that. If there's a check in your spirit about one of those backhanded compliments, you know, just probably don't say it. <laughs> Too much talk doesn't typically edify. It clouds most situations. It cheapens, and it just causes trouble. I'm not saying, oh, from now on, you're not supposed to talk much. I just, you know, let's, let's bring it into balance, you know. But Joseph had those dreams, you remember? As a young man, God gave him dreams that he was going to rule over his brothers and over the household, and people were going to bow down to him. Well, he just shouldn't have told his brothers that, right? They already had it against him. They didn't like him, it says, before that. And when he told them that, that, that was it. That was the final straw. They threw him in a, a well. They were going to kill him. Then they sold him into slavery. He could have saved himself a lot of trouble if he would have been wise and just kept some things to himself. How many of you have been hurt? You, you had a, uh, a vision from God or you had a dream or something or you have a, just a dream to build this or do this, something big, and you, and you, you run out and you tell somebody and you're all excited and they just shoot you right down. Hurts your feelings, you know. Or they just talk you out of it. Some people will talk you out of your dreams. You've got to know who you can talk to and who you can't. You know, if God gave it to you, 
you might need to sit on it until you get you hear from the Holy Spirit who to talk to about it because you know some people that will be the devil's mouthpiece and try to steal what God has instilled. Be wise what you tell. In World War II, they used to have a saying that says, uh, loose lips sink ships. You ever heard that? You know, back then, you know, somebody spouting off at a, a bar somewhere in Germany, you know, oh, our ship's setting up for sale, you know, tomorrow. And then the next day, a torpedo, you know, is it literally could sink your ship. Keep quiet. Don't tell your stuff. Don't get drunk and go tell everybody your business. You remember when uh, Moses kind of found himself between a rock and a hard place? He, he had like two million people he was bringing out of Egypt, and they were, you know, just now moving out, and God leads them right to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh comes in behind, and they got the sea on one side and an uh, angry Pharaoh on the other side that's fixing to kill them. All the people... Boy, there was nothing edifying in what they were saying. They were just letting it spout. We should have just stayed in Egypt. I can't believe you brought us out here to die. We could have died back there. And they were just letting Moses have it. Now, I wasn't there. Now, I can see what the scriptures say, but I can just pretty much picture Moses had to just wave his hand and say, Shut up! <laughs> he had to quieten the bunch down. And then he says, watch what God's going to do. And then when they got quiet, he stuck his staff in the Red Sea and it parted and they walked through on dry ground. And the same thing with Joseph. When they crossed the Jordan, they went over there and the first town that they had to take was Jericho. And God told them to walk, march around the walls of the city. Joshua said, y'all shut up. I'm not going to have you walking around the, the wall. Oh, it's hot out here today. This don't make sense. I, I bet Moses never would have made us walk around this. This is silly. We should just build a ramp. He said, just don't say a word until it's time to shout. And you know what? I believe God wasn't going to part that Red Sea, and God wasn't going to bring that wall down until they shut up and got a shout with something edifying in their mouth. What do you think would have happened if, if They'd have just been up there spouting all that stuff out. You think God would have went on and did it? I think it was important that if they didn't have nothing good to say, they'd keep their mouth quiet. All that contrary yapping going on. They needed a shout of victory. That's what we need to get. We need to, we need to be thinking about positive things. I tell you what. Just on a side note, man, I watched a movie about uh, the Jews during World War II hiding out in the woods somewhere, and uh, every time you watch a movie about the hardships people go through, you just start thinking about your life, and I often think about my life, and I don't have a million dollars in the bank. I don't need a million dollars in the bank. I'm telling you, I am blessed, and I tell you what. I am blessed, 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 blessed. And I, start, and I start thinking about it, and I start singing this. I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed, 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 blessed. And I start thinking about my hot water in the shower and my comfortable sheets on my bed and my 
truck that gets me back and forth to work and my guitars and all the desires of my heart that I have. Man, there's nothing that I, I guarantee you, Solomon didn't have it as good as we have it here today in America. Just the average Joe here in America. The comforts and the things, the leisure time and all the stuff that we have. I, I, I can almost assure you that I am the most blessed man on the face of the planet of the earth. I can almost assure you that. The thing we need to do is realize that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For the Lord has said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. That's what it says. So if you're living godly, and you can put your head on the pillow at night and know that you're doing your best for the Lord, and you and the Lord are like this, you're one, then you should be content. Because he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's going to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If I had a million dollars, I'd just be worrying about what to do with it. I don't need a million dollars. My daddy owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He gives me what I need when I need it. All I got to do is think I need a package of underwear, and four people come running up and give me a package of underwear. That's a bad example, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Nobody's ever gave me a package of underwear. Don't you do it either. But I mean, if you just want to focus on the negative stuff, which, you know, you can, then you're never going to just enjoy. You know, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. It's within us. This is heaven now. This is he It's not heaven yet, but it's heaven now in us. We got to enjoy it. Our words create our world, the world that we live in. God created the universe by the words of his mouth. He didn't get out there with a hammer and nails. He said, let there be. And it was. And we create ours the same way. What you're saying now, you'll soon be living. And the words you said in the past are why you're living like you're living now. So it would behoove us naturally to begin to think, what am I going to begin to say from this point on? Am I going to believe God for better days or am I going to gripe and complain and circle around the mountain again? Stay another 40 years in the desert. The words of our mouth. What did, remember Sunday when I talked about them being in the wilderness. Numbers 14, 28, God says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You said it, let it be done unto you. I think it would be a good idea to say some good things at this point. Sometimes we must speak spiritual truths, even though, even though they might not line up with the natural facts of the situation we're living in. You might say, well, this looks bad, but I know what the Word says, and I'm speaking what the Word says. That doesn't mean you have to deny the natural facts and people think you're nutty. 
You say, okay, I understand that. But I understand that I believe something stronger than that. While I look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. Which bring, bring the change. Have the capacity to bring God's word to pass. He, spoke, he speaks it and it comes to pass. That's the way it works. God calls those things which be not as though they were. He created something from nothing by the words of his mouth. God's word acted upon is the power of the impossible. Let me say that again. God's word acted on is the power for the impossible. Not just God's word heard. Not just God's word believed. But God's word acted on is the power for the impossible. All things are possible to him that believes. And if you believe, you're, you're going to take actions, right? Because faith without works is dead. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. There is power in the written word of God. It becomes rhema in your heart, mixed with faith. God looks down and says, I'm going to give them the desires of their heart. He brings it to pass. God's word always edifies, encourages, corrects. It builds up. He told Gideon, littlest guy in the littlest tribe in all the littlest uh, nation of the world, come down and said, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, I wonder how that young man felt. Abraham, how many stars do you see? Abraham's an old man. His wife is an old woman. They're childless. God's saying, look at how, can you count the stars? That's how many your descendants will be. He told the, the nation of Israel, you're the apple of my eye. How special God would call you the apple of his eye. He tells his people, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If I'm for you, who can stand against you? The, the Bible is just chock full of encouraging, edifying words. Words of correction that will build you up. Romans 8.39 says, No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't these words that I'm speaking now starting to edify you, make you feel good? Now you know the feeling of being edified. Now you know why you should read the Word of God. It's the bread of life. It sustains your soul. It builds your inner man up. That's why you pray in the Holy Ghost. That's why you do spiritual things. Because they build you up, build up your inner man. Though your outward man perishes, your inner man grows stronger day by day. If you're following the ways of God, God gives people new names. If your name was Jacob, which means swindler, I'm going to change it to Israel, which means, I don't know, but it meant something better. <laughs> he gives people new names so that they can see themselves differently. 
Humans do this, but God comes in like a flood and says, look, listen to me. We're going to straighten out the way you see yourself. Begin to see with God's eyes and begin to speak with God's lips. The Bible says that we can speak as the oracles of God. As if it, by the power of the Holy Ghost, we can speak as, the, as if God himself were speaking. Be a Barnabas. Build people up with godly encouragement. Remember that uh, lesson a couple times ago. Be a Barnabas, an encourager. God's watching what we do. And God also hears everything that we say. Every idle word. What is an idle word? Is it just something that you said that, that you were just talking about, trivial stuff, it didn't matter? I don't know exactly what an idle word is, but I would define it like this. One that does not edify. If you're saying something that's not building somebody up or something up or not saying something positive, I would define it as an idle word. Proverbs 18.20 says, Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. What does it mean? You're either speaking life or you're speaking death. And whatever you're speaking, you're going to reap those consequences. You know, about five years before I became pastor here at this church, with no formal education or whatever, no reason to believe that I would ever be in full-time ministry, a heart to serve God, working probably in the youth or something back there, Brother Tom, Brother Tom started calling me Pastor Guy. It sounded ridiculous at first. He just started calling me Pastor Guy. That was his nickname. Many of you probably have a Tom nickname. Because I don't think he calls any of us by a regular name. But I tell you what, imagine what that does for somebody. Imagine what that would do for a young man. To begin to see themselves in a different way and have somebody speak it out and see it. Made me begin to think differently. He saw qualities in me of a pastor, you know, going down to the jail where it's usually evangelism. But I, he would see me wanting to, you know, pastor the men after they got saved. You know, evangelist just wants to get them saved and move on. So he began to call me Pastor Guy. I began to see myself different. I had no way of knowing that one day I would be called on next in this, this line of pastors here at this church. But it's not too late for any of us to change the course of our life. In the course of the people around us' lives, our children's lives, wherever we have influence, we just got to begin to speak life.
listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.